If you want the best tax and legal secrets used by successful real estate investors today, contact Sherry Hill, the wealth protection diva at Sage International Incorporated. Call 775-786-5515 to strategize with the wealth protection diva today. Call Sage International. Now, the wealth protection diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating, her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. The education system in the United States is in crisis. An astounding 60% of students graduate below proficiency, and this number only increases for students of color and those living in poverty. When almost one in four boys, 23%, are categorized as having a developmental disability, it is fair to wonder if it is the boys or the system that is not functioning properly. My guest, Kimberly Barron's PhD, is a scientist, educator, and founder of Fit Learning. She co-created a powerful system of instruction based in behavioral science and the technology of teaching, which has transformed the learning abilities of thousands of children worldwide, including those who are struggling, average, gifted, or learning disabled. For more than 20 years, her system of instruction has produced one year's worth of academic growth in only 40 hours of training. Her book, Blind Spots, Why Students Fail and the Science That Can Save Them, is honest, powerful, and literally lays out the solution to stop the vicious cycle of school failure. So, Kim, welcome! Well, thank you so much, and thank you for that for those kind words about my book. I really appreciate that very much. Well, you'll appreciate it because my daughter is a math teacher, and so oh, for, so oh, I I live in the world of education and the failure of it. And so yeah. I'm you know I'm really excited to talk to you because you really have uh, through fit learning and what you have discovered you have some solutions but I want to lay the foundation first so let's start with the bottom line which is learners okay. fail because of ineffective teaching practices and without effective teaching practices educational outcomes cannot possibly improve. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> and when you make, you know, and, and I want to be, especially with your daughter being a math teacher, you know, I want to be, be clear that when I make statements of that sort, I'm not blaming teachers um, at all. So what I, what I'm, what, you know, when I say educational practices are ineffective, what I mean is that teachers, unfortunately, aren't trained and how to design instruction according to the science behind the learning process. And even teachers that understand the learning process, you know, in a common sense way, they, they understand how the science works, even though they may not know they know the science. Even teachers who understand it still don't have the power to implement practices in their classrooms that are more effective because they just have to follow 
the timeline set by the school district and, you know, use curriculum that they're told to use and, and, and they can't modify instruction in ways that they know would be more effective. So teachers are really helpless to make this change themselves. You know, it really requires a system, a whole system overhaul, to be quite honest, uh, of how things are going um, for real change to happen. Well, why do you why do you think? I mean, obviously, you've been around for over a couple of decades, talking about, and yeah. we're gonna, and I'm gonna have you, um, you know, define it in just a moment. But the behavioral scientists, you know, behavioral science mm-hmm. and what that's all about. Yeah. But I mean, just from a practical standpoint, when we look mm-hmm. at the uh, nation's report card that just got published. And I mean, if we thought kids were failing before the pandemic, it's worse, way worse now. Yet the school districts, the system, the higher ed, they're not willing to change. Why do you think that is? Right. Well, I make this point in my book, and, and this goes back to the dawn of the public education system at the turn of the 20th century. So this is this is a very, you know, this is a long-term issue. This isn't new by any means. But, you know, the point I make in my book is that education is, a, is what I call an ideological institution. And what I mean is that it's based on belief systems rather than pragmatic systems. And so when I say a belief system, you know, when we think about beliefs, we think about religion. I mean, that's the most common one that people would be familiar with where you believe in something and, and even if there's not really evidence of its existence, you, you know, you have faith and you believe it. And so because of that, you continue to do what you do in life. And look, I'm not trying to throw religion under the bus. You know, religion serves a purpose in our culture, but when we're talking about an institution that, that, that's its job is to produce specific outcomes then ideology really doesn't work, which is why when you look at areas in our culture that have made vast, has made a lot of progress, like, for instance, the medical establishment. Now, I'm not talking about healthcare because there's a whole bunch of problems in the healthcare system, but I'm talking about medical science, right? The advancements that have been made in, the, in cancer treatment and the treatment of other kinds of diseases, that's because medicine works as a pragmatic institution, meaning science guides that enterprise. And as a result, um, you know, since that enterprise is based on evidence and the scientific method, it's, a, it's, it's able to evolve. And the same could be said for, archi- for engineering, for uh, agriculture. So if you look at any of the areas in, in, in our culture where things are going really well and moving fast, and progress is being made in a dramatic way, you will always find science behind those, those enterprises. And we cannot say the same thing for education. Education has been producing the same abysmal outcomes since it started over 100 years ago. And that is because schools are designed based on beliefs about how kids learn and beliefs about how kids should be taught, rather than based on the science behind how children learn, and effective teaching practices designed based on looking at the outcomes those teaching practices produce, and if they're not producing effective outcomes, then changing those practices based on what science says we should be doing. So that's why 
education doesn't change because it's very difficult to change belief systems. Uh, people cling to those. If you know what I, if, if yeah, you know what I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, you, you cling to those beliefs, and no amount of evidence can change your your mind. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, that's the problem we have in politics as well. So, right. any any area of our culture that isn't working, ideology is pretty much always the culprit. To be quite honest, absolutely. So that's, well, that's been a yeah, that's yeah. wrong. Yeah. In in your book, Blind Spots, you describe the behavioral scientists and their you know the discoveries about learning, which have led to the design of the profoundly effective teaching practices that you have utilized through Fit Learning. Um, but you describe yourselves as outcasts. How come? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. We are, we, you know, I, I use that, that's a whole chapter, the outcasts. Um, you know, we have historically been outcasts in the areas of education and mainstream psychology. And there's, there's a fundamental reason for that is that, you know, the science of behavior has, has discovered that the environment plays the most important role in what human beings learn and how human beings behave. And so that environmental determinism, I will say, is actually very threatening to to our you know to people in our culture because you know number one people want to believe in the notion of free will, right? And that's a whole other conversation. But the idea that we're born with certain personalities and internal characteristics, and those are the things that determine who we become and how we behave and how we learn. But to be honest with you, the evidence that we, you know, the science that has been done over, you know, almost a century now actually indicates that, of course, human beings are born with certain genetic predispositions and, and biological characteristics that, in, that, you know, influence how the environment impacts those people. But the environment plays the most critical role in human development. It plays the most critical role in, in what we learn and how well we learn it. Um, and it plays a very critical role, role in, in, the, in the kinds of behaviors we learn to engage in. And, and somehow that's very threatening to the educational establishment and to actually mainstream psychology that wants to kind of point to internal flaws and internal characteristics and internal features as the real causal variables. But we've, we've demonstrated that that's actually not the case. And so, you know, the educational system, the belief is that kids are born with certain innate intelligence, right? An innate intelligence or an innate ability. And that's what really determines how they do in school. And it's, and it's the school's job is to just provide an environment where kids can learn things. But whether they, or not those things are learned or how well they are learned is actually up to the learner in a way. And from the, from the, from the educational establishment perspective, whereas we know that that's actually incorrect, um, that the environment and how, how the environment is arranged and how instruction is designed is the number one determiner of how well kids learn things. Um, but that's, that's, we get a lot of pushback on that because to be honest with you, that means that the environment is accountable and everyone inside of that environment is, is, is accountable. And so when you're a behavior scientist, you know that fundamentally anyone who's involved in designing a learning environment is ultimately responsible for what, how that child learns. And so it's that level of accountability and responsibility, I think, that is, is very threatening to um, members of those establishments, I would say.
Absolutely. So we definitely we definitely are considered outcasts. There's a lot of pushback <laughs> for, for what we say. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I'm hanging with the right crowd then. We have to go to break. <laughs> when I come back, I'm going to be picking up this uh, good conversation with Kimberly Nix Barron. She is a Ph.D., and she is the founder of Fit Learning. We'll be right back. Save the date. Nevada State Beekeepers Conference is coming February 23rd, 24th, and 25th in Yearington, Nevada, the hub of Lyon County. Learn about products from beehives used for health and beauty from world-renowned speakers. Become a beekeeper. Attend the workshops to learn everything to get started. The 2023 Nevada State Beekeepers Conference, February 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Register at nevadastatebeekeepers.org. Perfect for beginning and advanced beekeepers. If you love teaching and want to make a difference in the lives of our young children, become a teacher at Community Services Agency Head Start or Early Head Start programs. Hi, my name is Brandi Dunbar and I've lived here in Reno my entire life. I've worked for child care for the last 17 years and I just started working at CSA about a year ago and I absolutely love it. Here at CSA, teachers have more time to plan, more time to teach, and more time to play. Call 786-6023. It's a delightful experience of yesteryear. The articles are outstanding, and the illustrations bring the stories to life. Fun for all ages. Natakwa News. Pick up your copy today. Natakwa. Educational traditions arise from blind spots regarding how learning actually occurs. They exist because people believe in them, and more important, because it's just how we've always done things. My guest, Kimberly Nix Barron's PhD author of Blind Spots, Why Students Fail and the Science That Can Save Them, I can absolutely say is an excellent book about education that every teacher, every policymaker, and every parent should read. So, Kim, we've been, you know, talking about the issue, right, the crisis in America. I want to shift to solution. And so let's talk about fit learning, how you, you know, that model that you built and why it works. Right. So, you know, for me to talk about why fit works, I think I need to quickly talk about why traditional education kind of doesn't work. So one of the one of the main characteristics or flaws, I would say, of the educational system is the is the notion of grade level advancement. Um, You know, if you think about why a kid gets you know, moved from first grade to second grade, it's because they turned a year older, right? So grade level advancement is always based on, on age. But unfortunately, like what we know in behavior science is that age actually doesn't determine the kinds of skills a kid can learn. That's, that's actually a myth. Uh, what determines the kind of skills a kid can learn depends on how well they have learned the fundamentals that are involved in them acquiring that next level of skill or that next more complicated skill, which is why if you look at our, the, the national assessment of academic progress, if you look at those data, you will actually see that proficiency rates decline throughout the course of schooling in the United States, which is shocking. So what I mean by that is a greater percentage of fourth graders score as proficient than eighth graders, and then a greater percentage of eighth graders score as proficient as 12th graders. So what that means is kids get less proficient 
the longer they spend in our school system. And, and so that actually, you know, flies in the face of the idea that as kids mature, they're able to learn more complicated things. And we know that that's false. I mean, that's been, that's been, you know, debunked in behavior science and neuroscience for a long time. What we know is that without true mastery of fundamental skills, you cannot possibly learn and master more complicated skills. And, and this makes sense if you think about playing a musical instrument or a sport. You know, I, I don't know why, you know, common sense goes out the window for academic skills. Like the educational establishment has done such a wackadoo job making people think it's something different, but it isn't. Like, they're, you know, a person learning to play the violin is not going to pick up a violin and play Chopin because they're 30 years old when they started playing Chopin, you know, started playing the violin. I don't care if they're five years old or if they're 30 years old. If they're learning the violin, they have to learn the components first before they can play any complicated piece of music. The same applies to academics. So fit learning works because we know how to design the kinds of effective, repeated, reinforced practice opportunities kids have to have in fundamental reading, math, writing, and thinking skills such that kids acquire true mastery of those fundamentals. And we measure, we, the way we talk about mastery in behavior science, we use the term fluency, which people are familiar with that term in the vernacular, but it's actually a technical term in our field. And it means a, a level of performance that combines both accuracy with speed, and it predicts neurological permanence, Another way of talking about that is long-term memory. So it's, it's not forgotten. It's a skill that's permanently a part of that kid's repertoire. It's usable effortlessly to learn more complicated things. And skills that are mastered, fluency are resistant to distraction. So what's that, what that means is we increase attention span when we give kids the opportunity to master skills to fluency. And so fluency is a, is a level of performance that's automatic, effortless, fast-paced, without hesitation. I mean, these kids can do this standing on their heads. And kids are not getting the opportunity to master fundamental skills to fluency in the early primary grades. You know, when you have kids in 8th, ninth, and 10th grade, and they're, skip, they're still counting on their fingers to do basic math facts when they're supposed to be solving quadratic equations, you have a big problem. You know, when you have kids who are, trying, who are supposed to be reading grade-level textbooks, but they still can't sound out basic phonetic words, you have a problem. And, and that's the problem that most kids in the United States have. And that's why fit learning is so profoundly effective and in such high demand. Because we don't, we don't introduce things into a kid's programming based on their age or their grade level. We introduce things into their programming based on what we assess and identify that they cannot do to fluency and that they must be able to do fluently in order to learn more advanced skills. So the bottom line is effective instruction entails designing effective, repeated, reinforced practice opportunities of fundamental skills so that fluency can be achieved. And when fluency is achieved in like basic math facts, you know, decoding words, and so, or, you know, logically talking through uh, and solving a problem, a complex problem, those, the, the achievement of fluency and those fundamental skills is transformative across the board. And that's what's missing in, in, in the school system. 
Well, one of the things that, you know, when kids go through your program, it doesn't matter what age they are, right? I mean, whether you're hitting them at first grade or 10th grade, this works. And, uh, you know, share, you know, as a parent, when my child is struggling in school and I know they're falling farther and farther behind, the stress, the anxiety, not only from the child, but from the parent. And since your program, I mean, you literally can produce one year worth of academic growth in 40 hours of training. A majority of psychological trauma, I would say, for families and kids, most of that stems from from failing in school. Because if you think about it, a kid who spends a majority of their life at school, right? They're they're at school most of the day. So a majority of their life, they're they're in an environment where they are failing. And then they come home and they're expected to perform homework assignments at home where they have no ability to do that. And then the parent is somehow supposed to be the teacher and, and help the kid, you know, perform homework assignments that they have no business doing and there's tears and crying and upset and parents get upset and the kid gets upset and then that breaks down the, the family relationship it's 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 a disaster and so I, I will tell you that when parents finally get number one when parents realize that a lot of the garbage they've been told about why their kid's failing mainly that there's something wrong with their kid like, oh, your child has dyslexia or dis- or one of the other disses, you know, dyscalculia, dysgraphia. I mean, I could go on and on about the learning disability mytholo- mythology. But most parents are told when their kids are failing that it's because they're, it's their kid's fault, that they have something wrong with their brain or that they're lazy, they're not applying themselves. So it's, it seems like it's on the learner and it's, it's on the, and it's the parent's job to fix it, which is also absurd. I mean, what other... And what other industry in, in, would you find that the customer is responsible for the service they receive? It's, it's kind of nuts if you think about it in that perspective. Like, you know, you go to get your car fixed and the mechanic tells you, well, you better figure out how to make your car stop making that weird sound. Right. We would never pay the mechanic for that service. I mean, I, I just don't understand. Like, the, a pilot of an airplane is not going to ask one of the passengers to go up and fly the plane for him. I mean, how does this make any sense? But it's always, you know, the parents getting the emails. Your child's not learning their math facts, so what are you going to do about it? Rather than, well, isn't that their job at school to fix that? But no, it's always put on the parents. And so when the parents find, you know, have the opportunity to meet us and have their kid assessed by our, with our assessment, and we tell them, well, the reason your kid's struggling in math is because they, don't, they have no fluency in their math facts. They don't have fluency in numeracy skills. And, and we're not saying they don't have those things because there's something wrong with your kid. We're saying that they don't have those things and they need to have them and we know how to make them get them. So we're going to fix it. And the parents are like, what? I mean, it's like, you know, it's like night and day from what they've heard before. Like, we're not telling them that there's something wrong with their kid. We're telling them there's something wrong with their instructional history and we're going to fix it. So it's, it's just a really refreshing experience for a parent. And then for the learner, they get into an environment where they're having like hundreds of reinforcing success experiences you know, a session that is psychologically transformative for that kid. So it's really just a game changer across the board. But what breaks my heart is that, you know, millions of kids can't have, don't get access to this, which is why schools, we have to get this into schools and schools have to change because 
although we do such amazing work at Fit Learning and we're, you know, our nonprofit organization is helping low-income kids, but this has to be implemented in the schools. I mean, it just has to be what kids get because there's so many kids who aren't getting this kind of, kind of help and it's setting up kids to have a lot of problems. I mean, you know, a lot of dropouts, high school, you know, dropping out of school, getting into trouble, you know, that all stems from academic failure. There's real differences being made. And if we want to, you know, the income gap in the United States is getting wider and wider. And, and that affects all of us. Like the more educated the populist, the better we all do. And I think, you know, we all have to think about that as a collective democracy. It, it's to the benefit of all of us. If every kid in the United States has a chance to get a good education and, co- and move into the workforce and be poised to make a difference. In, in the you know in to our economy and and in the world in general so it's a really important organization and, and we're doing really amazing work um and i think it's a really great way to to give back to the community awesome well we are out of time i have had a wonderful conversation with kimberly nix barons she is the phd she is a scientist educator and founder of fit learning you want to learn more go to fitlearning.com or empoweryouthfoundation.org. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Sherry Hill Show, where business, but today, education has been amplified. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Tune in next week, same time, same station, for the Sherry Hill Show.